Welcome to This Week in Windy City. Today we'll be taking a deep dive into the Windy City Thunderbolts over the last seven days. High deep drive out to left. Axel Johnson turns and runs. And he watches that one go. Bolts have the lead right back in the top of the ninth. And we'll get you prepped for the upcoming seven-day stretch with your hosts, Alexa Harley. Any analysis on that? I, I couldn't see it that well, but, you know, it was caught. And Andrew Mild. I was always a dill pickle guy, and some people give me some disgusted looks when I tell them that. They don't really care for the dill pickle. I don't understand why. This is This Week in Windy City. Welcome back, Thunderbolts fans, to This Week in Windy City. I'm Alexa Harley alongside Andrew Miles for the third episode of our Thunderbolts podcast. And I think we should just start it off with this past weekend and that series at Southern Illinois. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, the pitching looked fantastic. Uh, Thornton and Asua put up some of the best starts they've had all year. Just some things didn't go the Bolts' way. Um but you know the the again the pitching is looked really good. So is the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen looked really good this mm-hmm. this weekend and, and against. Uh, I'm trying to think who the Bulls played at home oh, against Evansville. Yeah. yeah, it feels so much longer because uh, Thursday and Wednesday weren't night games. I know. I feel like it's been forever since we've been in Ozinga Field, even though we were there just a couple of days ago. We were there at like eight o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday and Thursday, which is like so uncharacteristic for us. But sticking with what you said about both Evansville and Southern Illinois, I think they played better against Evansville overall. Yeah. I mean, they lost two of those three games, but I mean, Evansville just had timely hits with runners in scoring position. That made the difference was just a few timely hits with runners on pitching looked really good. They were able to hit They you know, they weren't, you know, silent offensively, but Evansville was the better team in that series. And that's kind of how it came out. But Logan Wiley had, I think the best pitching outing and he uh, went seven innings, just one earned run on that second game, the first of two splash days. He also got hit with a few water balloons uh, during our post-game interview. If, you, if anyone wants to see what that photo looks like, there is a photo of myself talking with Logan Wiley after the game, and he is talking to me, and we're kind of trying not to laugh as the rest of the team is throwing water balloons at us while we're trying to do this post-game interview, and then he turns and he catches one, and they, there's a photo of it. So if anyone wants to see that, head over to the Thunderbolts Facebook page. Yeah, and I think they were so excited that day because that was one of the most complete games we've seen mm-hmm. from the Bolts yeah. this year. The hitting looked good. That's when two home runs were hit, one by Wise High and Money Man Dan strikes again. But you said uh, Wiley allowed one run, but if you remember that the run scored from the the bad call. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say I'm not broadcasting this <laughs> podcast. It was that bad call out in left field where Recusen, in my opinion, clearly caught the ball, but the umpire I just completely blew it. Uh, yeah. And it cost Logan Wiley a uh, shutout win over Evansville, who is one of the best hitting teams in the Frontier League. Yeah. And then playing at Southern Illinois, you touched on it, that they played pretty well. Game two, the bullpen didn't kind of close out the way that we had seen them do. It comes and down to two bad innings. That's all it two came bad, down to. Two bad innings. And then the first inning of that third game on Sunday, right. where Matt Matthews gave up eight runs. I mean, that, that kind of reminded me of what we had been seeing back in June when that first inning was such a, you know, hit or miss for Thunderbolts pitching. 
probably like mid-June to about now, they seem to have gotten it under control, but it felt like a blast from the past with that kind of rough first inning. We hadn't seen that in a while out of Thunderbolts pitching. Yeah, Thornton looked really good the entire game, and then it was one bad eighth inning, and then the one bad first inning that really made the difference in the series between the Bolts and the Miners, because after that first inning, the Miners didn't score a single run. Yeah. It's just the You can't let the Miners get a big lead like that because their bullpen is nasty. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to be easy to face them when you have to come back from such a large lead. And that's a team that's hungry right now. Uh, but right now, the Bolts need to focus in and get ready to face Juliet this weekend. Or that this weekend, but the, this week. This week. And it's been a while since the Thunderbolts have seen Juliet. Last time I saw them at home was the first series of the year. They won that series and they played them again in early June, lost that series at Juliet. These three games are basically a battle for third place, if you will. I mean, Thunderbolts are ahead by just one game. So these games really matter if the Thunderbolts want to stay at third place and still kind of have a shot at getting back up to the top. Both these teams also have gone four for six in their last 10. So it's a dead even match, in my opinion, if you ask me, going through the lineups. There's a few differences between the teams, but really not that much. The only difference that I see, if you you just look at paper and just numbers, is that the Thunderbolts have a few more better hitters or more powerful hitters than Joliet, but it's, it's not like a, a drastic difference in my opinion. I mean, but last time we saw Joliet, as you mentioned, it was in June and their yeah. offense was red hot. Uh, yeah. I remember a game where Briley Ware hit two home runs mm-hmm. and the wind was blowing out that day, but this, their, their offense has really come down to earth. Their offense is last in the league. They lead in strikeouts and got the probables. It's Wiley Fisher and then to be determined for the third yeah. game, um, then Asua will start game one of the next series. But Wiley, as you said, looked really good. So if he can stay hot and keep attacking the strike zone against a team that strikes out a lot, he should have a great day. And Jake Fisher, again, another strikeout pitcher. He pumps the strike zone. It's just limiting the home run ball. Yeah. Um, which is good news to see that Fisher is on the probables this week. Yes. Because last time we saw him, he came out early against Evansville. He did. Yeah, I was curious this morning when I was looking to see who the problem was, were if he was going to be on there or not. But like you said, Jake Fisher gets a lot of strikeouts. He also, the home run ball has been the other thing that's kind of hurt him. The benefit with that is Joliet isn't a team that really hits a lot of home runs. The, the leader in home runs for Joliet is Braxton Davidson. And sure, he leads with 11 home runs, but he, he also leads with strikeouts. So that kind of tells you what kind of hitter Braxton Davis is. He's a power hitter. And that's probably the guy that I would be most fearful of seeing come up to the plate with Jake Fisher just because it's kind of, it's, it's one or the other. It's a home run or a strikeout. And that's what Braxton Davidson has done so well of. The other two hitters that I would, or I guess three hitters, Alonzo Jones, Bearmore, where you mentioned, they have pretty decent batting averages, but they're not power guys. They don't put up home runs. They got a lot of singles. So they're, go- they're guys that put the ball in play and the defense needs to be spot on for that. Right. And as I said, their, hot, their offense is red hot that weekend, but the wind was blowing out. And yeah. DuPage Medical Group Field can play big or small, kind of like Ozinga, except Ozinga's in the ballpark of its own. It's It plays much larger than any other stadium. So that's why you don't see a lot of home runs for the Bolts. But, yeah, Davidson, as you said, leads in strikeouts, leads in homers. But So I'm thinking you can attack him early, but make sure you start throwing balls out of the zone and get him to fish. Uh, but we're talking about Logan Wiley. He was a former, you know, first-year guy, rookie. Mm-hmm. How about the new guys – uh, contributing early now that we're I know I'd say the biggest new guy we've seen contribute to the team would be you know new Rob as everyone's dubbed him new Rob old Rob D Rob and now we got P Rob as well 
but now you have another new guy, Hunter Wells, who's four for three in plate appearances. He's been in like two games, three games maybe. And three he's games. based three games and he's replacing Jake here by And I mean, I would think the biggest thing that they're looking at of Hunter Wells is being good on the offense. That's what they need from Hunter. Yeah. They just need consistency in the lineup right now. And Hunter Wells can offer that. And so can uh, P Rob and we saw P Rob. Mm-hmm. He, He's a great fielder at second base. Yeah. Uh, I can still picture in my head one play made over at second. That was one of the smoothest plays I've seen all year. And he offers speed. And speed kills. And that's what the Thunderbolts have all around is just a lot of fast guys. And you also give a big shout-out to uh, Cal Jaroskovich. Surprised Mm -hmm. I got right the first time. It's Uh, a hard name to say. It really is. And he throws hard. I didn't realize how hard he threw until he came in against Evansville. And then – Brian has the luxury of handing it off to Kyle Johnson after that. So now the bullpen's picking up more velocity mm-hmm. after you go to a starting rotation that, you know, that got to throw the hardest, but they're craftier attacking the zone. They go deep in the ball games. And something else that I noticed through the lineups from this weekend at Southern Illinois is P Rob, Peyton Robertson was batting lead off when he first joined the team and they put him back down lower in the lineup and put Zach Houston back up there. I personally think that works better for consistency in the lineup, I think Zach Rakusen is a pretty consistent hitter. He's got power and he's got a little bit of speed. He's all around a pretty good asset. I think he's a great guy to lead, start off the batting, especially when you go to D-Rob, old Rob, and then new Rob, and you got Jairus Richards in there as well. I think that was a good switch, if you ask me, lineup-wise. I think it's going to give you more consistency between that bottom and that top of the lineup, putting P-Rob right in the middle. Yeah, I like, I like Zach Rakusen in the leadoff spot because not, I do too. Not, not only does he offer speed, but he offers, as you said, consistency – and really good veteran at bats. He's been around he's, a long time. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you heard about this, but Connor was telling me on there that if you go back and you pull up a, an at-bat that Rakusen had at one point in his career, he'll remember it. Like a home run specifically, he'll tell oh, you what yeah. pitch it was, who they were facing, where they were at. And um, it, re- it reminds me of the coach for the Rams that he's, he's just like that. He knows every player mm-hmm. and what they can offer and what kind of plays they run. Uh, it's good to have that type of veteranship and that memory at the top because yeah. now he can set everyone else up and go, hey, this is what he's throwing. This is how he's going to attack you. I faced him before. So for him to go up there first and then come back with a report for everyone else, it's a good thing for the whole. <laughs> well, and Zachary Houston's also a guy who takes hitting mechanics also very seriously. You know, if you ever talk to him, I mean, you could talk your ear off about everything hitting mechanics wise the swing where your power comes from and you you name it he probably has something to say about it so he's always taken bp he takes bp very seriously he also takes the game very seriously he's one of the most more locked in players i think that comes with that veteran status like you mentioned i think it's a good you know voice to have in the outfield as well when he's out there yeah that too and uh, he also goes back and watches every at bat he's had in the game mm-hmm. and that reminds me of tony gwen Tony Gwen yeah. was also very serious about his mechanics and wanted to see if his BP swing looked like his on-field swing and you take it to the cages the next day to work on something. And that's what Rakusen does. And yeah. that you have all these new guys coming in, as we mentioned, they can learn something from him. And that's what's key about having veterans on your team like Zach Rakusen. And there's notable other um, veteran hitters on the team and veteran pitchers that can mm-hmm. do the same for the young guys. And I want to go back to a point that you were talking about the bullpen and you'd mentioned Kyle Johnson and 
Kyle Johnson, somebody who we've, we've kind of been eager to see him get a at yeah. bat. We've, we've been waiting because he's been taking BP. He's stoked. He, I think he's more ready for it than we are just, just to go up, you know, with a bat and have an opportunity to try and hit. I think we've been waiting for that. And I, I think we'd be curious to see if you see it happen at Joliet. Well, I, I, I was doing some research uh, for this Joliet series and mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Smith, the manager of the Bolts was on the 2011 Joliet Slammers championship team. And I found his baseball reference. It took me the longest time. I found it. He actually had two hits his first year with the team. So maybe uh, we can give Kyle Johnson that type of uh, information and be like, hey, maybe if it's a blowout lead for you guys or for Joliet, you can uh, poke Brian and be like, hey, you have to bet for them. Can I bet for you? And we'll see if that can finally happen. This also reminds me of something we, you and I talked about was uh, Brett Phillips getting to pitch for the Rays. I mean, the Rays were getting blown out. I mean, it wasn't even close. And they threw him out there to take BP. Weirdest BP warm-up I think anybody in baseball had ever seen. They opened the gate. And most pitchers, they just kind of you know, jog out, take their time, listen to their song coming up. The, Brett Phillips sprints out to the mound. That's kind of what this reminds me of. I'm like, Coach, can, can I play? please please like we're not gonna win or we're so gonna win either it has to be like a 10 run lead for either team for that kind of situation to happen but i feel like if if you're getting killed by like 10 runs like coach can i bat please or you're leading by 10 runs coach can i bat please well well, the last time the bolts were in joliet if i remember this correctly jairus richards got the pitch because he pitched a little bit before he went to cal state Mm -hmm. fullerton so he got to come in in relief when the bolts were down eight or nine runs at that point, but it was still enjoyable to watch because he was taking it very seriously. It's not like Brett Phillips where uh-huh. he wants to come out and he's looking out through the, the fencing uh, like an eager kid at a candy store yeah. and going out there. And he pumped what 94 first pitch and everything after that was 49. Yeah. I just, personally, I think some of the best moments in baseball, whether it's major league, minor league, frontier league, independently, doesn't matter is when position players pitch or when pitchers hit when they switch and do something totally off brand I think one it's enjoyable for fans it's also fun for us to get to describe for fans who aren't able to witness it and it's just something to talk about for a long time and players remember that moment it's it, it is there's so much to be done with it yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of uh who it was but the Bolts were playing Schaumburg and we're mm-hmm. blowing them out and I remember I got to listen to it a little bit with Connor uh, who's doing the play-by-play at that point, uh, they brought in two players to pitch because they were getting blown out. And the second baseman went the pitch and then went back to second base and switched with the guy. So they were <laughs> switching all around. And Quincy Nee Portis pitched for the Boomers. Uh, hopefully the Bolts don't have to do that for the rest of the year. They can force the yeah. other team to do it. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to see Kyle Johnson hit. He is from San Diego, so maybe he can make it slam Diego, but Windy City version. <laughs> Nice little play on words there. So looking at the Central Division as of right now at 2.30 on a Monday, Schaumburg leads the Central Division. Lake Erie in second, five and a half games back. Windy City, nine and a half games back. And Joliet in last at ten and a half games back. So like we had reiterated earlier is that this matchup between Joliet and Windy City this week is basically a battle for third place. And I think whoever gets that is going to have some momentum riding the rest of August. We're about to get into August baseball. Like we are a week and a half away from August. You know, it's no longer, I don't want to say, you know, trial and error time. Like you are, you're, you're getting close to when postseason baseball is going to be happening. And usually August is when things need to be working for you to get to first place. If they're not working now, they're probably not going to be working in three weeks. And I don't, I don't give me your, your thoughts on whether or not the fun, like, 
I don't know how to phrase this necessarily in a question, but if the Thunderbolts want to be first, they need to start winning. I mean, you could say every series here on out to get back into first place because they are nine and a half back. Even when they're playing teams that aren't in their division, it's still important to win in those games, you know? Right. Yeah. I think I know where you're getting at. Uh, yeah. So the halfway point of the season is 48 games. The Bolts are at 52 right now. Yeah. Um, the good news is, is that Lake Erie, I don't know what happened to them. I'm yeah, shocked. Yeah. They've kind of fallen apart a little bit. Eight straight losses, one for their last 10 games. Wow. Uh, I don't know what happened with them, but you're right. The Bolts need to find more consistency and win more series. I mean, this week was a perfect example of what you're trying to get at is that two rubber games and they lost both of them uh, to Evansville and Southern Illinois. But I think the Bolts can do it. It's just finding that consistency. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're done. Like 52 games in, they're done. They might as well just not. They can do it. This team has heart, and we've seen it time and time again. They love the battle. Uh, and people have been asking me, like, are they good? And I said, they have good talent. It's just putting it together at the right time and getting timely hits. Things like the small things, it's what's hurting yeah. them right now. And I think they can catch Schomburg. They swept the Boomers uh, in Schomburg. So mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I think they, they've, they've stuck with them. They both went six for six in 12 games. So I think battling, winning the games now and then setting up for more wins against Schaumburg can put the Bolts in contention for first place. And hopefully Lake Erie can stay on this stretch and the Bolts can find some confidence and get themselves back in the second place and make it a good race between them and the Boomers. Well, yeah, it is the consistency thing that really is holding them back. It's putting everything together. You have a night where your starter goes six innings, allows four hits, and you put up four runs, and the bullpen slides out, and you get that 4-1 win or something like that. And then you've got days where you you have an eight-run first inning for the other team. So it's putting everything together. But I guess what I was getting at is I feel like we've been saying putting everything together for like two or three weeks. And for a moment there, I think right before the Schomburg sweep was when we really started to see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel of everything's starting to click. And then, like you just said, these rubber match games. I mean, that's to me, you, you got you to gotta win the rubber match games. I mean, you, I mean, you don't have to win every series from here on out to, to be in playoff contention, but boy, does it sure help, especially when you're playing Joliet, you're going to play Windy City, you're going to – you're not going to play Windy City, you're going to play Joliet, you're going to play Schaumburg, you're going to play Gateway, you're going to play Lake Erie, you're going to play a lot of teams you've already seen. So – How to put how to put this in words? I mean, you, you got to make it all click. Basically. You got to get hot at the right time. Yeah, I, I think now is the right time to get hot. Yeah, because I I hate to do use MLB references, but how many mm-hmm. times have you seen the team get hot at the right time to catapult them to it? Like take for example, the 2019 Nationals got hot at the right time, mm-hmm. and they wanted to win the World Series, and everyone had them uh, listed off at the beginning of the year because they had a, a p- terrible record. Well, but yeah, and the, and the right time really tends better. to be early August is when you got to start getting hot. So that, yeah. and that's and that's in about a week and a half. So I guess what I'm hoping is next week when we do another podcast, we can see the getting hot starting to happen. You know, yeah, because August. I mean, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you about MLB getting hot in you know early to mid August propels you into that postseason position. That's typically what happens for a lot of teams because it comes down to that make or break point. I mean, you'll have teams like I'm trying to give some scenarios, maybe like back in 2011, teams like the Yankees that were a shoo-in 
for the playoffs and then the Rays get hot in mid-August and all of a sudden you're vying for a wild card position. Right. That kind of situation, you've got teams who have been in first place for a while or for a good chunk of the season and that one second place team gets just hot enough at just the right time and all of a sudden it's no longer anybody's game. Well, the worst, not the, the thing that wasn't going for the Bolts is that they were trying to put things together, but they kept, they want, was it 34, 35 straight games against teams that are above 500. Yes. Juliet tomorrow will be the first time they face a team that's below 500 in over a month, I think. I think since the last time they played Juliet. So that's not easy to put everything together when it's like every game, it's, you have to be on your A game. You have to be on yeah. it, it's mentally and physically exhausting. Agreed. For a while. Like, like, for, like we're talking about MLB teams that you got to play some bad teams at some okay. point or another, beat on them up, beat them up and then boost your confidence up. You can and, even make the same reference to like college football. Like, you know, teams that play, they, they play just fill in cupcake teams every, every other Saturday before they play, yeah. you know, a division rival. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I'm pretty sure Florida will play some low D2 D like D1 oh, yeah. school. They open up the year, beat oh, them yeah. by 50 and go, Hey, you get, we're good. And boost their confidence up. And then, uh, and then that cap will send for the rest of the year because now yeah. they're, they, they feel how talented they are. The bolts, never got that easy cupcake game. And I'm not saying Juliet's going to be, because we've seen that Juliet also can come back and be really tough. It's just being able to know that you can, you have to be on your A game, but it could pay off more and more, and then you feel more confident in yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's wrap things up here with one final, I think. what in jo- When they play in Juliet, what has to happen, I think, to win that series? What would you say it is? Because I don't, I think the biggest thing is, and besides consistency, is that whole lineup hitting. It's not pitching. I, I think it goes from top to bottom, the entire lineup hitting, because you can't have Calabrese and Wisehire and Robinson and even Marcusen doing most of the work. I mean, you can't have those four batting one, two, three, four, and five. We add in Jarius Richards in there doing all the work. You got to have six, seven, eight, and nine work. And Jack Struntz is somebody who has been batting, you know, seventh in the order, who's been trying to get that bottom line to, to propel itself, but it's not always working every game. Right. Uh, I would say one, I, the pitching has to still be spot on. It has to stay hot and just attack the strike zone early and get the slammers hitters to reach out of the zone. And if the pitchers do their job and limit the slammers to two runs or less for this series, yeah. That gives the offense um, less pressure to go out there and perform every A-B because it's hard when you're down eight to nothing already because for the entire game, every at-bat counts from there on out. The Bolts don't have to feel as pressure to go up there and try to hit doubles in the gaps and homers over the wall. They just go up there and put up some nice, solid A-Bs, work on their timing and find some barrels and then build up some confidence and then head back home and take on Schomburg. So if the Bolts can go out and beat Joliet and take the series, hopefully for a sweep and break the brooms out, they can take that momentum back to Ozinga and battle the team that they swept a couple weeks ago. What would you say is more important? I know I said one more question, but you just gave me another one. Offense or defense when it comes to winning a game? What what is more important? Uh, I think that I think it depends on what type of team you have. Because uh, Thunderbolts are a very scrappy team, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think it's it's pitching always. You can never have enough good pitching. Mm-hmm. But 
you can't do one without the other. Agreed. You could have one team go out there and pitch a gem. Like, for example, Jacob DeGrom had an ERA below three and had a losing season according to the win-loss record. But then you'll have some guys have ERAs over four, but their offense is one of the best in the league and their win-loss is better than DeGrom's was. So I think both are key, but I think it comes down to having a good defense in the field. I'm going to answer number C C. or letter C, sorry. Um, Because if your pitching is going out there and getting outs and big plays from your outfielders that run everything down, they have confidence to go out there and keep throwing strikes. And if a guy goes out there and makes a diving play, like, for example, Recusin makes one, then that cascades into the dugout because everyone's pumped up, and now they want to go up there and cause some damage with the bats. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what they say, the team that makes the least amount of errors is the team that wins. That is that is the saying, as they say. Go ahead, finish it out on the cliche. <laughs> always, always, of course, doing my best work over here. Well, Connor Onion will be on the call in Joliet tomorrow. You can hear us next week on the fourth episode of This Week in Windy City, and you can hear us at the home games this weekend against Schaumburg. For Andrew Mild, I'm Alexa Harley, and this has been A Week in Windy City. Thanks for watching or listening, because you're not really seeing us, you're just listening. But thanks for listening.